please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Please read with me the verses in bold. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no... <laughs> Sorry. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Let me give a special welcome uh, to those of you joining us on our live stream this morning. Thank you for being here in uh, whatever way you can. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Sacramento, and we're uh, grateful to be together and grateful, um, grateful to be going through this important, significant part of God's Word. We've been calling our series uh, 10 Words to Live By, and this morning we're looking at the fourth word or the fourth uh, commandment as a lot of folks uh, know these words, the Ten Commandments. One of my favorite ministry stories of all time about my mentor uh, his name was David George, and uh, David was notorious for how much and how hard he worked. His presence uh, sometimes almost seemed, uh, he almost seemed to be in multiple places at once. He would be at innumerable events, his willingness to make and keep appointments at all kinds of crazy hours and in all kinds of crazy places. He was uh, known for his desire and his ability to minister to the people that God had put under his care. And that, uh, that amount of work and that work ethic, uh, his work was a point of great admiration for me and also a point of tension in our Relationship. I esteemed and I aspired to be like him in so many ways. And yet I knew, and particularly as I started to have children of my own, I knew um, how much his attention was a commodity that his children desired and cherished and couldn't get enough of. A sermon on the Sabbath would have been a challenge for him, and it is certainly a challenge for me. Uh, there has been, I think as there should be, as a, as a preacher prepares, there's been, I think, a lot of heart uh, searching and repenting uh, happening in my own life uh, this week. I think it's a challenge for all of us. So here's the story. On one particular Sunday... Um, a team of young adults that Olivia and I were going to lead on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic was gathering for our send-off. We were going to have a meal and a prayer and uh, be sent off. We are literally going to get in the cars and go to the airport and fly to the Dominican Republic. 
David joined us for uh, this meeting, for this lunch, and then after the lunch, we sat on the living room floor in a circle and began to pray and to dedicate ourselves in the days ahead to the Lord's service and his leading. We began to pray for the young adults who were going with us that uh, God would... um, that God would show up in this week and lead them as they were trying to figure out what life would look like serving him. It was a rich time uh, in which many of these young adults shared deep hopes and uh, concerns and fears and expectations about the week. And as we closed, it became abundantly clear that David was sound asleep. (laughs) His eyes were closed, his head was bowed, Everyone else was done praying. And this was fabulously hysterical for the 20-somethings in the room. Somewhat embarrassing for his daughter who was on the team. Until one of these young adults coughed. Amen! (coughs) To which David sprung to life and launched immediately into a closing prayer without ever realizing that his nap had been discovered, I'm not sure if he himself realized that he had fallen asleep in the moment, and no one ever mentioned it to him. (laughs) To my knowledge, this is the first moment that it has ever publicly been mentioned. (laughs) Rest and work. Work and rest. For some of us, rest is elusive either because of our own decisions and the schedules that we keep, our own anxieties, the difficulty of relationships and families that make it impossible to feel enough at peace to relax and rest, to let go and be able to sleep. For some of us, work is a curse. A necessary evil is what it feels like. Necessary at best. A merciless master at worst. Something to endure so that we can get to the weekend, to get to the leisure and to the recreation that we live for. Some of us work only to pay the bills or to pay for the toys that we need for the pastimes that we love. Work and rest. Why does it matter? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus summarizes the law. Somebody asks him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he summarizes the Old Testament law in these two phrases. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And many commentators have looked at the Ten Commandments, this passage that we're reading in Exodus chapter 20, and they see that uh, these ten words can be divided into those two categories. Some commentators would look and say, look, uh, at the beginning, the, the, the commandments are about love of God. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And that later the commandments deal with loving your neighbor. Honor your parents, don't murder. Honor marriage, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. But I would argue that right here, in the middle of these ten words, the fourth commandment, this fourth word, establishes our relationship with work and with rest as a pivot point between our love of God and our love of our neighbor. And I hope I can try to explain what I mean by talking about three things this morning. First, work, rest, and God. Or work, rest, and the love of God. 
Secondly, work, rest, and others, or work, rest, and the love of neighbor. And finally, work, rest, and Jesus. Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall you, you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Two things, two peculiar things immediately stand out to me. First, the first word in the passage is remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, I, if you had asked me most of my life, I would say, isn't this the moment when the scriptures established the Sabbath? This is when the Sabbath was invented, the, the Ten Commandments. Moses is on the mountain, and God says, you're going to have a day, one day off of work, a week, and we're going to call it the Sabbath, and you can go golfing on that day. That's what you do. But this says, remember, as if this is already a thing. As if a day of rest has already existed long before this, and it is. The Ten Commandments started like this. It said, uh, God says to Moses and to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So God begins by reminding them of his relationship with his people as a redeemer, as a savior. I saved you from slavery. Essentially, he says, remember I'm your redeemer, but here... He says, remember the Sabbath, and God is calling us to remember. He's calling his people to look even further back, in fact, all the way back to the beginning, when God was more than just a redeemer, he was actually the creator. It's a reminder of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and verse 11 later on uh, directly alludes to the fact that uh, God created men and women in his image. And the creator, the God in whose image we were created, rests. In six days he created the heavens and the earth and saw that everything he had made was very good. And then it says that on the seventh day he rested from the work that he had done. That's verse 11. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God rested. Now, all of us have been on one side or the other of the following scenario, right? Um, a parent says to a child, child, you are too tired. You need to rest. To which the child responds with a tantrum. I'm not tired! <laughs> when my wife was a toddler, uh, Olivia's ears would turn bright red when she was overtired. Uh, it's a tell that her son has inherited. We can tell whether, no matter the sincerity of the tantrum, no son, you need to rest. You are overtired. In fact, it is my parental duty to command you to rest. Rest is from God. How good is our God that he commands us to rest, that he has built it into the routine of the creation that he made. Let me tell you this, the gods of Egypt didn't give the Israelite slaves any rest. You can bet on that, that there was the expectation that work would continue every day, every week, every month. Rest is from God. Rest is from God. Here's the second peculiar thing about the beginning of this passage. Uh, the second thing that stands out is this. Work 
is from God. This will come as a shock to some of us. Many of us believe that there was never a task or work that needed to be completed until evil and sin entered into the world and cursed everything. But Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that the world began with God's work. Six days of good work in which he gave us light and life. It says that on the sixth day, he created us. He created humanity in his image, male and female. And he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There was good stewarding work for humanity to do long before there was sin and brokenness in the world. And part of the fourth commandment is this. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is from God. And that's good news because most of us spend most of our lives working. Whether it's work that we get financially compensated for or uh, work that our culture has not, that doesn't pay people for, but nonetheless is essential for uh, caring for our families and supporting our communities and doing those good things which God has called us to do. David Miller and Dan Doriani define good work in the following way. They say, a sustained exercise of strength and skill that overcomes obstacles to produce or accomplish something that meets real needs. And the argument is that that was going on from the beginning. Good work. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis tells us that it's God's design that his creation would be fruitful and that it would multiply and that that would happen through the good work of people created in his image. And so rest is from God and work is from God. And our call to practice a balance between work and rest is a call to be image bearers of God. It's part of what we were designed to do. And when we fail to practice a balance of work and rest, we're trying to do something that we weren't designed for. When we're trying to do something that we weren't designed for, our bodies suffer, and our relationships suffer, and our spiritual and our mental health suffers. We have a tell. Uh, our bodies and our souls and our minds are, are telling us we need to rest, and we need to be active, we need to work. So the question is, why are some of us workaholics? Why do we struggle so much to rest? I'd put myself in that category. It may have more than we realize to do with learning how to love the God who created us. It may have more to do with unbelief than we realize. I betray the fact that I do not trust God when I believe that I cannot stop working or the world will fall apart. I betray the fact that I do not believe God is good when my anxiety about how things will turn out does not let me give up working to have control over everything. I betray the fact that I do not believe in salvation by grace when I insist in my heart that my usefulness and what I can do is what makes me valuable to others and to God. Rest is a gift from God. It is an antidote that he has given us to the idol of work. We, some of us, will tend towards idolizing what we can do, and God has given us an antidote. 
So why are some of us so lazy? Why do we struggle so much to get moving and get motivated? It may have more to do with learning how to love the God who created us than we realize. It may have more to do with unbelief than we realize. I betray the fact that I love myself more than I love God when I put my own pleasure and my own comfort above good work that he has given me gifts to do. I betray the fact that I do not believe that God is good when my anxiety about what might happen keeps me paralyzed from beginning to start a good thing. I betray the fact that I don't understand how costly God's grace is when I do nothing with life and with opportunities that he purchased for me at the cost of Christ's own blood. We put our love of God and our faith in him in action when we strive to pursue a balance in our life between work and rest. It's a pivot point in the Ten Commandments between our love of God and our love of our neighbor. Work, rest, and others. While I was preparing uh, this week for this sermon, I asked a couple of my friends who were young lawyers uh, to find out about the first jobs at law firms that they had after law school. This is a, this is a quote from my text conversation. Uh, he says, most young associates are expected to bill a minimum of 2,000 hours annually. But you need to actually work around 3,000 hours in order to bill 2,000 hours because not everything that you do is billable. And these numbers are baseline. They're nowhere near enough if you hope to, to make partners someday. So, so I did, just did the math. 60 hours a week is nowhere near enough to ever become a partner someday. One guy called the first firm that he worked at a puppy mill to describe the dehumanizing effect of being made to work nonstop. And that's not even physical labor. That's grueling intellectual work. The fourth word, the fourth commandment is actually the longest commandment. And it's the most detailed commandment. And it is the commandment that's actually the most mentioned commandment in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is constantly referencing the keeping of the Sabbath and its impact on the community. Controversy about keeping the Sabbath and what that means is constantly following Jesus around in the New Testament. Jesus uh, sums up the reason for all of this when he says to the law, he's, when he says to the teachers of the law in Mark chapter 2, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Another way to say that is, the, the Sabbath was made to serve people. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, it's as easy today as it was in Jesus' day to get tangled up in defining what constitutes rest and what constitutes work and what is allowable on a day that is set aside for rest and worship and what isn't. But if we let Sabbath keeping become about the letter of the law, whether or not we kept it and, and, uh, and dotted our I's and <clears throat> crossed our T's, we'll be missing the point. Jesus used the Sabbath. He got in lots of trouble for the things that he did on the Sabbath. But Jesus used the Sabbath to make sure that his followers got something to eat. To make sure that the sick and the lame got healed. He used the Sabbath as a, to make sure that, import, 
important occasions got celebrated. He understood that his rest and his worship was only as valuable as the opportunity that it provided for others to rest and to worship with dignity. Our passage says, On this day you shall not do any work, nor shall your son, nor shall your daughter, nor your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or, your, or the sojourner who lives within your gates. Do you realize who benefits from your rest? Who benefits when you are obedient to this instruction? Your family. Your employees. All of the systems and the people that are required to support, to support and sustain the things and the work that you do. They get to rest. Many of us understand how disrespectful it feels to have a boss who thinks that because he's up at midnight, everyone else should be up at midnight answering texts and emails. We know the subtle betrayal of being told by an employer that we'll have weekends off, only to know and learn through back channels that that is true, you can have the weekend off, but you'll never be promoted unless you're at your desk on Sundays like she is. There is a clear I, uh, there is a clear love your neighbor aspect to the fourth commandment. When we cease from labor, we do so so that others can cease from labor and rest as well. I'm subtly confronted by this reality uh, every time I think it would be great to go out for Chick-fil-A after church on Sunday. <laughs> And then I pull in there, and in my frustration, I'll tell you what, I am so glad that there is a place that doesn't demand minimum wage workers to labor seven days a week so that I can have fast food. Jen Wilkins says, if I rest while watching someone mow my lawn or paint my toes or prepare my food, I'm enjoying a certain kind of rest, but I may not be Sabbathing. True Sabbath rest extends beyond the one resting to the ones who might be asked to labor on her behalf. My Sabbath rest should not create or entail labor for others in the family of God and should be mindful of requiring work of those outside of the family of God as well. One of the reasons that the Sabbath is mentioned so much in the Old Testament is an issue of justice. You see, there were plenty of people enjoying leisure and recreation and rest in the land of Egypt before the Exodus. And it was being made possible by the restless labor and disregard for the lives and livelihoods of the Israelites who were their slaves. This is why the Sabbath is so often mentioned in the Old Testament in passages that are giving instruction about care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the refugees. These are the people at the margins of society who are most likely to be taken advantage of so that the rest of us can enjoy rest and privilege. And so there is a service and a love of neighbor that goes on in our pursuit of real worship and Sabbath rest. Our love for neighbor is at stake in the fourth commandment, as it is in every commandment. Disregarding rest harms more than just you. I wrestled with this, but I, I'm not going to attempt 
to prescribe specific guidelines for Sabbath keeping because I think that it's almost impossible to do that without going beyond Scripture. Jesus certainly tangled with people who tried to do that. But I do think that it's important for us as individuals and families to consider what we need to do to make preparations so that we can rest, to make preparations so that our Sabbath uh, days and times are not eaten up with typical daily chores and other tasks that we could have done before so uh, that we can rest. People like me need to work hard to make sure that there is Sabbath time that doesn't get tied up with just this little thing that I need to do for work. It probably means being intentional about what happens or doesn't happen with a cell phone during Sabbath time. We need to be intentional about our schedules and make resting and worshiping time a priority, especially for those of us who have strange schedules. If you're in ministry, if you're in healthcare and you're in public safety and you don't work a typical five days on and two days off and have a weekend, how are you protecting and pursuing balance between work and rest? God commands us to rest from our labor because he loves us. And he knows that he designed us, for, designed us to rest. If we understand God's heart behind this commandment, then we understand that part of the reason that we labor and part of the reason that we pursue rest is to serve others so that they too can find rest and learn to worship. We can see this in the action of Jesus. Work, rest, and Jesus. Jesus said that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And the scripture tells us that he knew no sin, which means that he kept the law perfectly, all of God's command perfectly. Whatever it was that he did was what it looks like to perfectly keep the Sabbath. But he also worked. He did good work. Jesus' life was a sustained exercise of strength and skill that overcame the obstacles of sin and death to accomplish our redemption and meet our real need to be reconciled with God. He knew and he predicted that his final task, his final work would be to lay down his life for us. And so he planned for that event with his disciples and his teaching and his healing pointed towards it. And we're told by the scriptures that when he had completed this good work, he announced that it was finished on the cross. He breathed his last and then he rested. He labored so that we could find rest and learn to worship through him. I love these words from an album by Andrew Peterson called Resurrection Letters, and I'll close with them. He says, He took one breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know, I know that his heart beats, and he rises glorified in flesh. He's clothed in immortality, the firstborn from the dead. He rises but his work's already done. And so he's resting as he rises to reclaim the bride he won. That's you and me. His heart beats for you and me.